Morning, church. Hey, we're citizens of heaven. I'm still getting used to that. How about you? I get pulled into the things of this world so easily. I'm so glad we get to get together regularly. And if it's not together with God's people, we get to open his word and kind of get straightened out again in terms of who we are, who we are in God's eyes, and who we are in God's eyes in terms of the people that he delights in in this broken world and uh, continues to patiently lead us in the ways of Jesus. We have a king, and he's amazing. And today we're going to be talking about, as citizens of heaven, that we're people that shine. And we don't always feel that shiny, but there's going to be hope for us today as we look at the source of, uh, of what makes us uh, people who shine for Jesus in this broken world. So um, today, while we're worshiping here in West Fargo in our Moorhead uh, campus, uh, one of our new elders is being ordained today. His name is Ben Dahl. Maybe you met him if you open Pastor Doug's Friday update from Triumph. How many of you open up his update, by the way? Okay, good, good, I'll tell him. Um, But this week he he introduced you to Ben, and, and I got to know Ben and Amber a few years ago, and I've watched them do life together. Um, They don't have an easy calling on their lives because they've really opened up their lives to be foster parents. And uh, and so uh, we've watched as Guinea and and, uh, as um, uh, Tony and as Ava became part of their life. And now little Derek is, is part of their life too. And and as I watch them working, I'm thinking this is this is like the kingdom of God. Here are these kids who were in Good. Usually you don't leave a family and get placed in foster care because things were great. No, they weren't great. They weren't good. And so they're taken out of a situation that sadly is, is not good and they're placed in a place that is safe. And of course, when you enter into this place that is safe, you're transformed overnight, right? You understand the ways of this new family. You understand how they do life. You understand the things that matter to them. And of course not. This is like a huge challenge. You're given a safe place to live and you're given the assurance that you're loved and love is now gonna do some powerful things in shaping your life and changing your life and and getting you on to the kind of life that you were created, especially as as you're adopted into a Christian home. You're learning the gospel of Jesus, of course, but you're also learning what a gospel home is like. So when the Apostle Paul in this letter is, is writing to these, their new Christians in Philippi, None of them have the testimony that some of us in this room have. How long have you known Jesus? I don't ever remember not knowing Jesus. I was blessed to be born in a a Christian home, and I was blessed to know the ways of Jesus. I've always known Jesus. Good for you. What a blessing. Not everybody shares that blessing, however. And in the Philippians, uh, uh, in the Philippian church, None of them had been raised, well, I suppose the littlest ones among them. Yeah, I I suppose the Philippian jailer's kids, later on they could say, I can't remember not knowing Jesus. But for the most part, they were first-generation Christians. And so in this letter, like all of Paul's letters, he goes to great lengths to rejoice in what God has done for us that we might know 
that we have peace with God, that we have been adopted into his family, that we are now citizens of heaven. And that happened not because we tried out, not because we applied, not because we worked hard enough, but because his great love reached us wherever we were and brought us by his grace into his family. All of Paul's letters seem to start out with a declaration of the glory and wonder of how God chose to love us to himself by laying down, ascending his son who laid down his life for us and brought us into this secure, wonderful, hard to get our head around, easy to get doubts and anxiety that, that make us wonder if it was too good to be true, especially after we mess up and we wonder, okay, I'm not going to be welcome in this kingdom anymore. I'm not going to be welcome into this family anymore. And that's why we need scriptures like we're going to take a look at today. Because God dealing with this transformational change in our lives, whether we've walked with Jesus just a little while, whether we've walked with him for a long time, we continue to need to be reminded in this new family that we're a part of, in this new kingdom that we're citizens of, life is difference, different. And the difference is beautiful. The difference is good. And sometimes the difference is hard. And sometimes the world doesn't always understand the difference. And we begin to ask those questions. There's one place that we look. And it's not to the approval of the world or our happiness gauge that day. (laughs) It's to our Lord. It's to our King. And it's in, as, as we're beginning to feed on his promises and his word and his love for us, we kind of get straightened out. I hope that this morning as we look at the relationship between what God has done for us and what God is doing in us will be really encouraging to a few of us in this room. I hope all of us. But it seems like God's word meets us at, at different times in our lives in a very personal way. When I was being confirmed, like the kids are going to be confirmed this week, I was wrestling with knowing the truths about Jesus, but really struggling in my day-to-day life to live them out. I don't know if any of you else, uh, any rest of you struggled to stay out of the ditch when you were like in middle school and high school. Uh, I did. <laughs> and, and I knew Jesus, and yet I felt the pull of the world. And so I, off, I struggled with things like assurance of salvation. And so what do you do when you struggle with assurance of salvation? You ask Jesus to save you again. That's what you do. You're thinking, if I have this struggle, I must not be saved, so I'm going to ask him to save me again. I did that a lot as a kid. (laughs) And then my confirmation Sunday came, and Pastor Thompson at a a little church in South Minneapolis, he gave me Colossians 2, 6, and 7. And Colossians 2, 6, and 7 goes like this. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, and I know I had done that many times, so continue to live in him, being rooted and grounded in the faith and overflowing with thankfulness. Okay, all right. So it's not that I need to get saved again. I just need to trust him in living this new life that I've been saved to. You're going to find that this scripture this morning is a lot like that. 
The Apostle Paul was really excited not only about the life that we've been saved from, that we are, we are now secure as God's children, but understanding that even though all of us have got a flaw or two or a nick or a dent or a struggle, that God is using us for his purposes in this broken world, okay? So today uh, we're going to take a look at Philippians chapter 2 beginning with verse 12, reading in Jesus' name. Paul said, therefore, my dear friends... I'm just going to stop there. Paul says, therefore, my dear friends, the relationship is sweet and secure and important, even though there are things going on in the church that could be better. We live our lives as Christians, as people that are profoundly loved by God. And he loves us enough to speak the truth in love when we're losing our way, when we're drifting towards the darkness. This is one of those times. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation." Then you'll shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of truth. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service, coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's just go back and take a look at those first couple verses again, verses 12 and 13. If we were going to kind of sum that up, we might say this. Remember, God never called you to work for your salvation. He calls you to work out your salvation. He gives you your salvation as a gift of his grace. He realized that none of us could save ourselves None of us could attain to a measure of holiness that was a free pass into heaven. Not even Mother Teresa. (laughs) All of us, interesting, towards the end of her life, she talked honestly about her struggle with the dark night of the soul and had to lean hard into the grace of Jesus. We need to lean hard into the grace of Jesus. God is not calling us to work for our salvation. Many of the, most of the religions of the world are a quest of working for salvation. Do your best and hope that on the scales of judgment someday, your good stuff outweighs your bad stuff. And they say, yeah, you're in. We hope we make the cut. Nope. Did God call you to trust him to save you through his son, Jesus Christ? Does his death on the cross give you peace that your sins are forgiven? That's why he died on the cross. Do you know that no matter how uh, difficult that this life can be, that you're never alone and the best is yet to come? That's your promise. That's your destiny in Jesus. He calls us to to live in these things, to not worry about working for our salvation, but to work out your salvation. Paul talks like this to most of the churches that he wrote wrote to. For example, in Ephesians chapter 2 we read, For it is by grace you have been saved, by faith. This isn't from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works, 
so no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork or God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's amazing. It wasn't just that I invited Jesus into my life. He invited me into his life. He loves to see what his grace can do when it works in our hearts and especially as it works in our lives together. He has things that he's planned in advance for us to do. So the life for the Christian is to continue to keep our eyes on our Lord, on our King. Last week, Pastor uh, Jay talked about the character of our King and what he did, my word. I was moved by that sermon and, uh, and as I listened to that, to that great hymn uh, that, that he talked about last week, how Jesus laid aside his rights, he took on our humanity, more than taken on our humanity, he took on our suffering, he took on death, and not just death, death on a cross, and Jay took his time, Pastor Jay, excuse me, Pastor <laughs> He took his time walking us through the humiliation of Christ because I think I too quickly say, yeah, he suffered and died for my sins. He sure did. He sure did. And as we think about that, it reminds us of the profound love that that God has for us. And of course then, we're reminded that Jesus was not just doing that because he loves us, which which he does, but he was doing it because he loved and trusted his father. He was doing his father's bidding. Brothers and sisters in Christ, sometimes we might think about living for Jesus or even mission for Jesus as something we're doing because God has given us this incredible love for other people. I don't know about you, but I don't always feel that incredible love. Sometimes I don't. I need to be reminded that it's not only because God gives me a love for others, but as I keep in step with the Spirit, as I work out my salvation, as I actually believe that these things that God has said about me are true, and that his call on my life to love him wholeheartedly and love my neighbor as myself, that's not how I earn my salvation. That's how my salvation works itself out in this broken world. God is blessed. Others are blessed. And we get a taste of the life that God intended for us and one day we'll experience completely. We are not working for our salvation. We're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And you go, yeah, I heard that part. (laughs) I mean, God saved me. Are we still afraid of him? (laughs) What helped me get my head around that was remembering the story of Joseph. Um, I don't know how long you remember sermons. We talked on Joseph not that long ago. Um, But when we talked about Joseph, we talked about that moment when when he had been... uh, he had been granted full authority over the house of Potiphar, who was kind of head of security for, for Pharaoh. And, and that was a great job, except that, well, I'll just read the story here quickly for you. Um, Potiphar left everything in Joseph's care with Joseph's in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. This was a problem. After a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. 
No one's greater in this house than I am. My master has held, withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go, go to bed with her or even be with her. And because he was faithful, he lived happily ever after. If you know the story, that's not quite true because she lied to her husband and said Joseph was hitting on her and he got thrown in jail. Anyway, but in that moment, he realized what's going on here. I'm thinking about my master who's been so good to me, but I'm thinking about God who has been so good to me. How can I do this wicked thing against him? We can add that to our vocabulary of navigating life in a broken world. When the press of the world comes against us, I, I can imagine that his wife might have been kind of easy on the eyes, if you know what I mean. And as, and as she came against him, he saw things from the perspective that he was a citizen of heaven. How can I do this great thing, this wicked thing and sin against my God? It's a protective. Just because we are children of God doesn't mean he is any less holy. He doesn't forgive us because it's not a big deal to him anymore. He forgives us because his son paid on the cross the debt for our sin. Sin is as offensive to God as it was before Jesus died on the cross. But we've been extended grace to benefit from what Jesus did. The cross of Jesus does not free me to live for myself. It frees me from living for myself to someone who is Lord of my life that does a much better job than me when I let him. Lord of my life. Okay, let's get rolling here. Let's take a look at the second. We've taken a look at the first section which reminds us that we don't work for our salvation, we work out our salvation. And the good news is, as that's happening, God is at work within us both to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Not just to change my behavior, but to change my desires. As I learn to die to the old Jeff, and I learn to live in the new Jeff, where Christ is working in my life. Next, do, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, and you will shine like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of truth. Okay, full disclosure here. This is one of the reasons that I think God led us as pastors, as, as we met Tony and Jay and Doug and myself, Pastor Bruce, as we said, what do you think God would have his church here this fall? Well, we thought, you know, as we look what's going on around us, as we look at what's going on in, in the world, but also even in the church, we couldn't remember a time when there was kind of so much temptation to be divisive, temptation to argue, temptation to kind of fall into camps. You guys been feeling this at all? <laughs> and, 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 and this is something that, that reminds us that our life with Jesus is more than a personal walk. It's a shared life. And this gives us great opportunity in these times when there's much anxiety, when there's much defensiveness. Honestly, even some anger and disrespect 
Not just in the world, but even amongst Christians. This verse tells us God has called us to be shiners, not whiners. Okay? He has called us not to be grumblers and arguers, but to be people who set that aside and realize that in this crooked and warped generation, we are children of God. And there's a beautiful difference that's not always understood. But when it is understood, let me say this, not only by our choices, by our behavior, but by our spirit and by our attitude. When they see how, especially when they see that in a gathering like this, we have differences. What are we doing with those differences? Is it polarizing us or giving us an opportunity to extend grace and share the reality that we're all part of something that's bigger than us? I'm not my Lord, he's my Lord, and her Lord, and his Lord, and her Lord. And somehow we gotta figure this out together. And believe me, there are times when our bearing, where our spirit may have a more powerful impact than the things that we accomplish for the kingdom of God, right? Have you, have you, how many of you came to know Christ because of the faithfulness of a crabby Christian? Okay, I didn't think I'd see a lot of hands. It's easy to get that way, though. Really, it's easy to get that way. I remember Gillette Nelson, and I haven't seen her for, 40, for 50 years. She probably went to heaven not long after I was a, as a kid, but I grew up in a church, and I watched this lady because our family, smaller churches, you all sit in the same place, right? And Gillette sat forward to the right of where my family sat. And she was your classic kind of blue-haired older lady that was sweet. Um, she, she didn't have much in terms of the things of this world. She had a very simple little white clapboard house, and she had a renter live with her to make ends meet. People from church would, would offer her a ride home, and she'd either say, no, I can walk today. She didn't have a car. She, she'd either ride with someone from the church, or, or she'd walk. It wasn't that far from the church. I remember how she sang because she had like not just a vibrato but a really unsteady voice, you know. So we'd take turns as kids trying to sing like, sing like Joletta. You know, I, felt, I feel so stupid now that I did that. When I, but kids are kids, you know. We grow out of those things. Tell you what, I, I not only remember her voice, I remembered her contentment. I remembered her contentment. There was a woman who did not have the things that a lot of us kind of scramble after, and she was okay with it. She loved Jesus. She loved her church family. She found contentment in her very, very simple life. You know, this is kind of crazy. It's 50 years, and she popped back into mind when I'm thinking of shining as stars. I'm not thinking of some great pastor or missionary. I'm thinking of Gelada this week. So, when we think about, that's not only what we do, but it's how we do it. God has called us to be people that shine, not people that whine, all right? Thirdly, all right, let's look at the last thing. And then we'll, uh, we'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that we did not run or labor in vain. Even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Now let's not forget that Paul is in prison. 
as he's writing this. He understands that one of these times, he's gonna be released from prison, not to the company of his friends, but to the company of his Lord and his friends in heaven. That's a very real inevitability. But because of the goodness of God, because of the grace of Jesus, because he has learned that he's living in a kingdom whose Lord is amazing. The king laid down his life for him, for crying out loud. The king rejoices in in seeing what's going on around the edges of a community or a church. His heart is moved by the plight of the little ones. This king is amazing. That's the kind of king we have. So Paul realized that one day his journey would be over and he was going to see the king. And he was going to see those that he had the opportunity to share the good news with. And so there was something bigger than whether he was in or out of prison, whether you know, life was perfect, because it wasn't, except that he had a perfect Lord, perfect king. And so what Paul, what Paul is saying here, you know what, we're all heading into that place. We're all going to stand before the king. And he said, when I think about what God is doing in you guys' lives, I, I can't think of anything that would make me happier when I stand before the king. I'm going to realize it's worth it. This section reminds us not only that we're not working for our salvation. We're not working for our salvation. We're working out our salvation. It reminds us that we're a kingdom of shiners, not whiners. It also reminds us that we're a people who understand where we're going to spend eternity someday. We are. And so when we look at the things in this life, we especially rejoice in those kinds of things that are going to result in high fives in heaven. Looking forward to high fives in heaven. Not only hearing our Savior say, welcome home, welcome home, but looking around and seeing other people are there. You didn't even know you had an impact in, in, in their lives. But by God's grace, because it's him working in us and through us anyway, when real kingdom advance happens. All right, let's pray.